Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mind. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning and welcome to Talk Money. Talk Money is about health insurance, stocks and bonds, retirements, estate planning and insurance. Talk Money is, of course, everything financial. Our guests bring their insights and perspectives about their topics of expertise. Investors continue to focus on the second half of the program, second half of the year, that is, and the program. Investor uncertainty pushed U.S. Treasury yields to their lowest level since last November. And, you know, Hurricanes Harvey Harvey and Irma rattled the markets. But eh, we saw something that hasn't happened in a long time. And maybe it took Hurricane, Hurricane, both of these hurricanes, Harvey and Irma, to cause this to happen. But Democrats, Donald Trump, surprised with the agreement with the Democrats over the debt ceiling and government funding issues about, you know, this whole idea of what's going on as far as a shutdown, and he eliminated that just completely, which maybe that was a hurricane. I don't know. We ought to call that um, a political hurricane, whatever. Uh, there's continued doubt, though, that a pending tax reform is going to come to place and, of course, replace and repeal. We'll see. You know, just remember, always keep your politics out of your investments. That's the key. I'm surprised about the walk across the aisle. But now he's on a first-name basis. At least that's what the Wall Street Journal tells us. Something to remember. If you are doing much traveling by car these days, you have noticed something about a sharp increase in prices, gas prices. Well, AAA says that the national average gas price of gasoline has increased just 3.5% since since the beginning of the year, but the day Hurricane Harvey hit landfall in Texas, guess what happened? You felt it. I felt it. It's up 32 cents. Well, if you're going to travel, just be, be prepared to pay the, the price, you know, for a hurricane. Hey, it's a little price for us to pay considering what happened to both the Florida Keys and the coast and, of course, also in Houston, Texas. According to a recent study by the Social Security Administration, 31% of American workers surveyed have accumulated no money for their retirement, either on a pre-tax or a post-tax basis. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but we're really going to dive into some things, some issues that so many people have today. If you're a caregiver or if you're thinking about that, that's going to be a part of the program. Today, we're going to be talking with Mac Bailey of the Bailey Law Firm about revocable living trust and why you should have one or should not have one. That's going to be the question. We'll have answers about that from Mac Bailey. In the second half, certified financial planner Scott Jordan will discuss the issues of being a caregiver And we're going to find out some of the responsibilities that you have. If you are going to be a caregiver or you know someone, you don't want to miss the second half of the program. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this.
podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs. It's what we do. You're listening to Talk Money. Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial Services are not affiliated with Mac Bailey or the Bailey Law Firm. Financial advisors do not provide tax and or legal advice. Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial Services do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should always consult their tax and or legal professionals regarding their own specific situation. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Talk Money is brought to you in part by the Bailey Law Firm, estate planning, elder law, and probate planning for all generations. That's the Bailey Law Firm, and we're privileged today to have Mac Bailey with us of the Bailey Law Firm, and we're going to be talking about wills and trust and just the whole concept of how behind when do you buy a will, when do you know what you need a will, why is it important, what are you thinking about, So, and your trust. So welcome to the program, sir. Good morning. Thanks to be here. You know, Mac, one of the biggest issues that so many people, I've had people in my office, we've talked about a will. They always have this, or a trust. We're going to kind of, I want to set the stage first with a will, but then go to a trust. And they all know, without a doubt, they need it. But it's amazing that people want to figure out a way to do such an important document almost as if they were... I you know I, I don't want to pay the money I don't want to I'll get it all online you know I go on to you know doc in you know, a lawyer in a box or whatever it's called or something and and I just don't understand that what do you, how do you feel when you're dealing with someone and you do you sense that that they're just they don't want to really pay or get what they're really looking for yeah it's interesting psychology because I think part of it is people have heard that lawyers are so expensive. Um, but in reality, most lawyers that do estate planning charge fixed fees. So the client knows what the fee is from the very beginning and not obligated until they decide to go forward. And then second of all, you have to realize that, you know, these are two topics that are not the uh, most entertaining to talk about around the table at breakfast, death and disability. That's true. That's a very, very good point. Also with us today is Scott Jordan, Certified Financial Planner Scott Jordan. And Scott, let me ask you this. And also, sir, welcome to the program. Good to be here. John. All right. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this. When you're counseling someone, you're sitting in your practice, how do you guide that person on to at least to make the move to step forward to say, here's what you need to be doing instead of them just avoiding it, you know, and saying, oh, well, I don't have to do that. Well, you know, that's something that we're always going to ask to look at is, right. is wills and estate planning documents because they're so important to protect the client's assets. We're trying to grow assets. We're trying to grow assets toward retirement. We also have to protect those assets. And part of that protection is having those legal documents in place. And usually it's maybe even being proactive to schedule an appointment with an attorney. We meet with them in our office right. quite frequently to bring the attorney in to uh, to work through to the work process. through the will and and a trust if necessary and just and you know following up with them to make sure it's been done because we want to review that that's part of what we do. Well, I I think it's more I, I think it's more important for person and I want our listener to understand that 
that we work with Mac and and we do. I'm just telling you the facts. We do use Mac, and we we he sponsors part of the program. But don't. I think you need to understand that reality is that having a good attorney protects you. Now, Mac, I want to ask you. Let's start with the definition, the legal document, because I really want to move forward with the trust. Because I can say, all right, a will. Let's get a will done, and and a lot of times I can at least get somebody moving and nudged, but they don't realize the need of a trust. So start with me, the legal document that's created by the settler or the grantor. Start with that. Yeah, well, there's different types of trust, but primarily we're talking about today a living trust, a revocable trust. And really the living trust is an alternative or an option to a last will and testament. It does all the same things that a will does, except that it importantly avoids the probate process. Do you find today, and I mean, I've been to probate a couple of dozen times, and I know you've been more and more than that, than I have, of course, representing clients, but I find probate can be embarrassing somewhat. Um, I've seen people sit on opposite sides of the courtroom and not talking, and I've seen children. I've really been shocked at the way people can handle children if they've not done some things legally there. What have been some of your experiences in probate? Well, I think many times probate, because it's a court process, is intimidating to the normal person. So, I mean, if you don't go to court on a regular basis and I'm telling you, hey, you're going to court with me, it sounds fairly intimidating. Yeah. And so many times they're just kind of, they don't know what's going to happen when they go down there. So let's talk about when, if avoiding probate, let's talk about that, the grantor, the person who's saying, I want to establish a trust, a living trust. Then let's go through that part of what are the parties of a trust. There are three parties to the trust. There's a settler. That's the person that creates the trust, and that's normally the client. Then there's the trustee. That's the person that manages the assets or hires someone to manage the assets. Once again, that's the client. And then there's a beneficiary, the person that gets all the benefit from the trust. And lastly, once again, it's the client. So the client is all three parties to a revocable grantor or living trust. Revocable grantor. Revocable Help me with that's a big word. I mean, revocable, irrevocable. I'm just going to use those two terms. Help me with that. Gotcha. Irrevocable means you cannot change it. Revocable means you can change it at any time. So so let's talk about that. Here's someone that says, I want to trust, and it's a revocable. So a lot of people don't realize that once they have this nice document in this well-bound book, that if they don't like it in six months, they they have the right to say, I want to redo this part of my trust. That's what you mean by revocable. That's right. They can amend it, change it, modify it, get rid of the entire thing if they want to, terminate the entire trust. And so it's all, they have the power to make changes to the trust and no one else does. You know, I find that to be one of the most difficult things people to understand, that they do have the right to change that document. Um, Have you had cases where you find that someone goes through that process and shortly following the diet, they're changing it? I mean, it does happen, doesn't it? Absolutely, because it's life. I mean, life events change a trust, just like any other state planning document. So they could go through a divorce, have a family member die, or their financial situation can change. Anything can happen in their life that could affect their documents. All right, let's make sure that everybody listening, we're talking about revocable living trust. My guest, Mac Bailey, Scott Jordan, and we're going through some reasons why you might need it or some of the mechanics of it. In the second half of the program, we're going to talk about 
being a caregiver and some of the thoughts that go through ideas of being a responsible party as a caregiver and safekeeping of delivering of documents and things. Mac, I'm going to get you to stay with us in the second half of the program because I just thought about that. You're involved in that all the time. Uh, Scott and I were going to go through this process of caregivers. I know caregivers don't always realize their responsibility. And so we've got the grantor who's saying, today I'm healthy and this is what I want to happen. Somebody else may be the one that helps him put that together or take care of him later on. Is that is that living will still functional even though maybe the person who granted it is no longer competent? Yes, most of the documents are designed to continue past the incapacity. So if someone becomes disabled, the document should remain effective. Without any breakdown at all whatsoever. Correct. That's kind so of as long purpose. as he's still alive, it's still functioning. What happens at the death of an individual? Well, upon the death of the individual, the trust will convert from being revocable to irrevocable. Also, most people don't know that powers of attorney end upon death, so they cease to be effective. I mean, they're, they're no longer valid once someone dies. Scott, we just had a case in the office where the power of attorney called and said, I need to do something, you know, and we, we talked to him multiple times. And on the, the calls on the 8th, he failed to tell us that mom had passed away on the 5th. Right. And uh, we have a—it's an issue. We've got to go back and, do, you know, he just didn't tell us, and we didn't know. Now, I'm not sure why he was uh, withholding that information. Uh, some of the other siblings have some of the ideas of why he might have been withholding that information. So let me just use that as an example Here's a perfect case where, you know, son and mother and taken care of. Does a living trust protect the grantor from things like that? I mean, is he kind of still in charge or she's kind of still in charge regardless of powers of attorney? Yeah, I mean, whatever assets are in the living trust are managed by the trustee or the backup trustee upon death of mom. So if mom is the person that created the trust and son is the backup trustee, when mom dies, now son is in charge. You contrast that to a power of attorney. When mom dies, son no longer has the right to make any decisions until he gets to court and open up to probate estate. Okay, that's the big issue right, right there. All right, now let's make sure that everybody is aware of what we're talking about. Living trust, uh, let's, let's go back to a trust agreement, a trust document. And I'm just using myself as an example. I have a trust, a living trust. My wife is the beneficiary. It's a trust, and I am the trustee. Correct. So many people forget that... If you set up a trust, you're still the trustee. Now, I have to do something that so many people forget to do, uh, unless they have a good attorney like Mac Bailey, is to tell them everything you're going to want in the trust, you've got to put in the trust. That's correct. And what happens when that doesn't happen? We go through probate. So what we've done is we've created this wonderful trust document and probably spent a little bit of money with the lawyer. But if it's not funded, if the assets aren't transferred to the trust, think about the trust like a bucket. If all the assets aren't put in the bucket, then we end up having to go through probate anyway. You know, that's a bigger issue than we think. And so I guess what I want people to understand is is estate planning or this, you know, you think people think that you have to be extremely wealthy to do what we're talking about. But you can have a piece of property that you want to be managed for you. You can have a certain a certain amount of assets, obviously. But it's just about your wishes. It's about helping people understand what do I want to happen in during my lifetime and what do I want to happen at my death? It's amazing that 
many times in our state plan practices, people come in and wealth is really secondary. I mean, they really come in and no matter what their assets are, they have an idea of what they want to happen to those assets when they die, whether it's a dollar, a hundred thousand million or 10 million. And so the wealth is sometimes mainly secondary to their wishes. That's a great point. Give me some advantages. Let me, you kind of hit on those, but I want people to really clearly understand some of the advantages of a revocable living trust. I mean, obviously, you said, number one, it avoids probate. We get that. What's some of the other advantages? All right. Well, also, in, in avoiding probate, you're avoiding the cost of probate and the time delay of probate. So costs can be anywhere from 3 to 4 to 5% of your estate. So if you have a $100,000 estate, it could be 5000 to $7,000. If you have a million-dollar estate, it could be fifteen to twenty to $30,000. There's also a time delay. So most probate estates have to be open for a certain period of time. And the normal time period is anywhere from 4 to 9 to 12 to 18 months. And during that time period, your beneficiaries, your wife or your kids or your spouse, they don't have full access to their inheritance from you. So let's talk about that for a second. I know, let me, you've got some others coming here in a second, but, but let's talk about that. So somebody who has to go to probate. And it's opened, and there's a dispute or something. I mean, it can be for anything. It can be from a distant cousin, or it can be a debtor. That, I mean, a creditor that you own as a debt that you may owe. So you can that that can stop the beneficiaries of that estate, the husband or, or the wife or the children, from getting anything until that's settled, right? That's right. If there's a dispute, the court's going to say, Mr. Executor, don't distribute any assets out until this dispute's resolved. Explain to the listeners what really happens there in probate, because I think so many times the state has a liability or a lob- obligation and a liability to the correct and, and desired beneficiaries. Explain that. Yeah, well, the executor's job is basically to collect all the assets, okay, and then pay all the debts and taxes. And before they can distribute anything out to anybody, all the debts have to be paid, all the taxes have to be paid, you have to report back to the court. Um, and so it takes time. It takes time before those assets can be distributed. So let me, let me we, we kind of, the timing there, and that can be, a, and it, I've seen some very frustrated people thinking, well, you know, it's the court's problem, it's the it's the judge's problem, but the judge is doing what he's supposed to be doing, the court's doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's just poor planning from the previous, when the person was alive. That's right. I was in probate court last week, and the attorney in front of me put the wife of the decedent, the deceased husband, on the stand. The wife started testifying that he had named her as the executor, and while she was testifying, saying that she was the executor and she was the beneficiary, the judge was reading the will. And the will was different than what the wife thought that the husband had done. And she was very, very irritated on the stand. I'm assuming <laughs> I'm assuming that would be pretty What are some other advantages? I know privacy being one of them, that's a big deal for a lot of people. Absolutely. So if you go through probate, everybody can see your will. Everybody knows what your assets were. Everybody knows who you gave your assets to. Um, and so that's a public record when you go through probate, whereas a living trust is completely private. Nobody knows anything about your affairs except for the people that you leave, left assets to. One of the things that I think um, is so important when we talk about privacy is, uh, is is a lot of times if you can hold things in context of we're talking about who who are my beneficiaries, I've listed them, and the trust is a document that's not in probate, and everybody's working with that intangible in thought process. Now, it's a tangible dis- distribution, but, I mean, it's a concept. This is all together. This is what the grantor, as you said, dad or mom said, this is what I want to happen. 
It just doesn't get confusing or as confusing as when you open it up in front of everybody in the world and start saying what's going to happen. That's right. And everybody's family's different. You know, a lot of my clients will come in. I'll go, best you've never heard of this. I said, well, I think I probably have. But <laughs> so not all of our estate plans are plain vanilla to where, hey, we love all our kids and we're giving everything to our kids. And so many people want to do a different distribution that other people would think that they would do. And they want to keep that private. That is so critical. Well, we've been talking with Mac Bailey and Scott Jordan about living trust. And, of course, the key is that the grantor is allowed to put together his assets or her assets and distribute them and have them managed while he's living, have been managed and while he's at his death or her death, and then the assets going to the people that they desire to do. Those are some advantages. Now, we're going to come back and dive into what are the disadvantages of a revocable living trust. And we're going to find out, does a marriage license actually give you a power of attorney? Now, that's a question. We're going to find out from Mac, is that a power of attorney or not? Will that hold up? Well, we're going to continue to discuss with Mac. We're going to start talking about caregiving and some of the legal responsibilities of a caregiver and the issues they are faced with as we go through the rest of the program. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. You're listening to Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time. It is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. My guest, Mac Bailey and Scott Jordan, certified financial planner Scott Jordan and Mac Bailey of the Mac Bailey Law Firm. We're talking about trust, a legal document created by an individual to hold it on his or the, the person's assets, which directs the management and distribution of the assets during and after the grantor or settler's life. Now, we've talked about the parties of a trust, the grantor, the trustee, or the beneficiaries. We talked about a revocable living trust, which has been our topics today, revocable living trust. And just before the break, we had finished up just going through what are the advantages? Avoids probate. That's number one. Avoids the time delay that's caused by probate and cost of probate. Uh, those are two big issues. Think about it. If you could avoid opening up your entire financial life in a document down somewhere downtown in one of the courtrooms, you would like to do that. That's what a revocable living trust allows you to do. It's private. It keeps everything inside. Now, here's the reason why. You're a you're the grantor and the trustee, so therefore you get to handle it all yourself until your death. Then at that point, you've named somebody else to be the trustee at your death, so it just transfers from one bucket to the next bucket or actually stays in the same bucket, just new management under that bucket, and that's what you're trying to do. And so nobody else has to look inside the bucket, and that's kind of important. That's what you're trying to do, maintain privacy. Uh, provides incapacity. If you get incapacitated, you've already set it up. Somebody, you no longer can manage it, 
then you got the trustee that's there to take care of it. A lot of times that's a family member. Sometimes it's a corporate trustee. I'll ask Mac in a minute what he thinks about whether it should be a family member, corporate trustee, or both. But the reality is you're getting to take care of your assets yourself without opening it up to the world. And then final advantage is it reduces all that cost and disputes and contests and all those things, court costs, I mean, court contests, where you get up and somebody starts arguing and shouting across the courtroom. You ought to, if you haven't done that recently, you ought to go down to probate and just watch what happens in probate. It's, uh, yeah, I'm sure, Mac, you could tell us a lot about that. But before we go much further, what are some of the disadvantages? And we need to be fair, openly say, okay, we've talked about advantages. What are some of the disadvantages? Well, the first disadvantage that some people perceive is the fact that the living trust probably costs a little bit more than a will. And the reason it costs more is because it requires more of the lawyer's time. And as I tell everybody, my time is your money when I'm working for you. So it does cost a little bit more. But the savings in the long run are much greater with the living trust than with the will. Let me ask this. You know, I mean, you kind of said this earlier. Some people... Let's let's just, I mean, I can go and buy a Mercedes if I can afford it. I can also go buy, and not anything wrong with a Ford, I happen to drive a Ford. And you happen to drive a GMC. GMC. Well, that's your problem. Okay. I I actually drive. No. So, you know, I can drive a Mercedes, and I guess just put, let's say, one trust is out here that costs a Mercedes type price tag, and one's a Ford. Now, once this, the Mercedes is a luxury car, okay, I get that. I mean, if I drive my F-150 and you drive your GMC truck and we drive a Mercedes, Scott's in the Mercedes, by the way. Let's put Scott's in the Mercedes. <laughs> and so, you know, he's going to tell us he's got a much better ride. Is it really? I mean, I got four wheels and a steering wheel and a radio and air conditioner because I live in Memphis. Do I really need the Mercedes in every case? I think it just depends on where you bought the Ford or the GMC. You know, So if you bought it off the used car lot, it may be a different deal. Okay. If you bought the vehicle new, then most of them are going to perform. They're going to do what they're supposed to do. Is it inappropriate to sit down and say, "What can I can I negotiate with you, my attorney? Can I sit down with you and say, I don't want the Cadillac price. Can I get the Ford price? Certainly, I can. I like putting him on the spot. (laughs) Everything's negotiable in the world. However, as I tell my clients, if you want to negotiate on price, that's fine. But I'm going to write a letter to your beneficiaries letting them know what you negotiated (laughs) and why they got what they got. That's That's a great answer. Great great. answer. I guess what I want listeners to understand, you usually get what you pay for. That's correct. And that's kind of what I want people to walk away with when there's a discussion about this. I, I don't want you to think that you can go online and get a trust or get a document. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that if you don't have. You need to have something. But guys, listen to me. This is important. You need to to know that a document. You don't want the document half done, and then all of a sudden, family members are arguing because somebody forgot to take care of this. I have watched families break apart over money. I've watched enormous arguments break out in my comforts room. I've watched kids quit talking to each other uh, who were who were best of friends while mom was alive. Listen, this is not this is not what you want to do. Anything you can do to avoid that. Don't let money destroy your family. And if you can put a document together to do that, this is what we're talking about today. Having the ability to have a document that says this is what mom or dad or mom and dad 
said they wanted to take place. And usually, do you recommend, Mac, that the mom and dad talk to the kids, the beneficiaries, before anything's really needed to you know happen to tell them what's going on? Absolutely. And many times uh, for adult children, that happens around Thanksgiving or Christmas or other holidays. And many times I'm asked to be on call during certain holidays to have the family conference or family discussion. And so I just really believe that the more sunlight you put on the situation, the more information you give to everybody, then the less feelings are going to be hurt later on. All right. You said that a will, I mean, obviously a, a living trust is more expensive than a will. What's some other disadvantages? Well, one of the big disadvantages of the living trust is if you don't fund it. I mean, we talked about the trust being like a bucket with right. a handle and a lid on it. If we don't put all the assets in that bucket so someone can pick up the handle and pass it down to the beneficiaries upon death, then we still have to go through probate. And that's why if you go to an attorney, ask the attorney, are you going to fund this document for me or am I going to have to do it? Because most of my clients don't get around to it if I let them do it. Oh, that makes a great amount of sense, too. I, mean, I had a case in East Tennessee where it took us almost two years to fund that particular document. And and writing to he had a lot of property, uh, a couple of different states. I want to talk to you about that in a second, too. And it just took forever to get documents to come back and forth and put into the bucket, as you refer to it. What about if I own property in other states? Well, what can happen there is, let's say you are, live here in Memphis, and maybe you have a lake house in Arkansas or maybe a... Uh, I guess, a beach house in Florida down in Destin area. If you pass away and you have a will, then I'm going to have to probate your estate in Tennessee, maybe in Arkansas, and also maybe in Florida. So that could be double or triple probate depending on where you own real estate. So real estate, because each state wants that real estate settled according to their state law. That is correct. And every time I go to probate court, it costs more money. So I mean, you could actually double or triple the cost of probate. So a trust, again, eliminates that problem. That's correct. All right. We've been talking with Mac Bailey. We're talking about trust. And let me just tell you right out front, you know, you if you don't have this and you need to talk to him about that, his telephone number is 843-2760, 843-2760. Now, Mac and I, you know, it's just bottom line is this is somebody who can guide you through the process. I mean, Scott and I have seen him do some things, and I think it's important to know that it's always, you can, multiple attorneys, you can, there's tons of attorneys in the state of Tennessee, tons, <laughs> most of them in Memphis, it seems like. Bottom line is, this is somebody who we recommend and think that you can probably sit down with him and discuss it with his, uh, I would shouldn't probably say this, I, anyway, his wife's also an attorney, and if you don't like him, work with her. <laughs> All right, we'll be back in just a minute. We've got some more discussion, and reality is we're going to find out what are some of the responsibilities of safekeeping and delivering of documents. Scott's going to help us with that, and then we're going to look at what a responsible party is and answer the question, does a marriage certificate grant a power of attorney? We'll be right back after this. Have a question you'd like answered on the program? Email talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. There are many great moments in the career of Senator Kenneth McKellar. He was the first senator from Tennessee to complete more than three terms, having served from 1917 
1953 and held the position of President Pro Tem of the Senate under the current system in Congress during the Truman administration. With two economic landmarks named in his honor, Lake McKellar next to the Memphis Industrial District on President's Island and McKellar Airport in Jackson, Tennessee, it comes as no surprise that the senator was an early supporter of the creation of the Tennessee Valley Authority during the New Deal era. Despite the initial support, McKellar's relationship with the TVA grew strained over time as Tennessee landowners felt they were not properly reimbursed for property acquired by the TVA. McKellar, who served as chairman of the Powerful Appropriations Committee, intervened on the landowner's behalf. He knew that the uranium enrichment program for the Manhattan Project, which created the atomic bomb, was heavily dependent on the electricity produced by the TVA and threatened to defund the program until the TVA fully reimbursed the landowners. After President Roosevelt's death, his successor, Harry Truman, did not appoint a vice president, which placed McKellar next in line to become president until the law was changed in 1947. After running for a seventh Senate term, McKellar lost to Albert Gore Sr. in 1952. A longtime ally of E.H. Crump, McKellar's defeat in the senatorial race, coupled with the victory of an anti-Crump progressive candidate in the gubernatorial election, marked the end of an era in Tennessee public life. This has been another Mid-South History Moment. Brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. You're listening to Talk Money. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax and or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax and or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax and or legal situation. And now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, you know, we were talking during the break, and Will's going to probably uh, talk to me later on this from a compliance standpoint. And, uh, G, you know, I think when we think about it, Gil will also help me out. But the reality is I made a myth, I guess a mistake, a faux pas. <laughs> you know, Mac Bailey's wife, who, by the way, is in his office and does a great job. And I tell you, if you're going to go see the Bailey Law Firm, be sure to speak to her, but I misspoke. She is not an attorney. She texted Mac during the break and said simply, to, hey, correct that. I was smart enough to get my MBA not to go to law school. That was different, <laughs> and I appreciate it. So did we, was that good enough, Mac? That certainly <laughs> helps me out, yes, sir. <laughs> That's good, good. Hey, you know, guys, I mean, I always thought she's the brains of the group personally, so <laughs> no question. Most people do. And she <laughs> definitely looks better than you. Never mind. Okay, moving right along. All right. Here we are. We're, we're going. Going through the process of this idea behind a trust document, and I've asked the question a couple of times, does a marriage certificate grant a power of attorney? Now, let me set this up. I'm sick. I'm in the hospital. uh, My wife's got to make a decision about something of me, or uh, I'm out of town and somebody wants me to do something, and I say, well, just take care of it, babe. You sign for me. Is she... Breaking the law? Is she illegally? Can she do that? I mean, can she act as my power of attorney? I don't have her as my power of attorney. I don't have a power of attorney. She's my wife. Even if she's been married to you for 50 years. Almost. Almost 50 years. She cannot act on your behalf regarding financial affairs or matters. That's so hard for so many people to think about. Yes, it is. Um, how How do... So having a power of attorney... So... Let me let me make sure people understand what we're saying now. I am in the hospital. I've had a heart attack. 
Uh, I don't have the capacity to. And she is writing checks out of her checking account, and she runs out of checks or out of money. And uh, we have a an account that's not joint, uh, and it's just in my name. And she needs more money, and I can't do it. And she goes to the bank and says, hey, can I get some money out of his account and put it in our account? She can't do that. She cannot. And, you know, many married people have joint accounts, and they sure. operate out of the same account. And that's fine, so that doesn't need a power of attorney. But if you own your house with your husband or your wife, you couldn't sell it or mortgage it if one of them is incapacitated. Or if the husband is incapacitated and he has an individual retirement account and you need those funds to pay for his care, you could not access your husband's retirement account. So there are definite reasons why a three or $400 document could save you tens of thousands of dollars. All right. That's the importance of a power of attorney. Let me ask this. Now, Scott... Uh, let's talk specifically about safekeeping and delivering documents, taking care of the documents. So many, I mean, I I recently had to help walk through with someone who husband had passed away. And on a scale of one to 10, I would give him about a six for organization. Now, in his mind, he was a nine. In her mind, she thought he was a 10 until the day or two after the death that happened suddenly we they were we were still struggling and putting things together. Talk about safekeeping and documents. Well, first of all, you know, after you've had these wonderful documents prepared, it's it's important to note that in in the case of a dispute, the original is what is needed, not the copy. Um, so that's an important thing to consider. So copies where, create the problem. I mean, if I got a copy and I give it, so Mac, do you see that a lot too? That copies just don't work. You know, a copy of a health care power of attorney going to admission to a hospital works fine. A copy of a last will and testament is no good. Now, you can prove a copy as a lost or spoilated document, but it's very, very expensive, and it's not guaranteed. That is so critical. So what would you—I know you provide documents to help people put documents together, forms to put documents together. We do something very similar. Do you see a lot of times that just the documents are not, not taken care of or not in one location? Yes, and we normally ask the client to tell us where they're going to put the original documents, and we document that and put it in the file. So hopefully then we will at least have a beginning point to look for. So, Scott, what do you tell people? I know a lot of times we talk about safes or fireproof. Safes, somewhere, you know, fireproof, theftproof, waterproof, you know, somewhere safe to keep those documents, a, a safe that's locked in the home or a safe deposit box at the bank is another good place. Um at the attorney's office, Mac, I don't know, do you guys store documents for people, or is that something that... We rarely store documents for yeah. our clients, because if we stored all of our clients' records, I'd have to have a vault as big as the, yeah, right. you know, your den. So yeah. That's the problem. So people need to take responsibility for their documents. It's amazing. And I, you know, I've got one particular case where a client is worth several million dollars, and it, it's not important to him. He just doesn't think about it. And I can't imagine. I mean, I keep nudging it and pushing it. Now, I have his, fortunately, his assistant, not his wife, is taking care of all this for him. And we have it located in place. That's, but it's just like they're oblivious of why it's so important. I don't understand that. But people, a lot of people don't, as you went back to it earlier, nobody wants to talk about death and dying. Right. And that's the, that's the critical part. Scott, let me ask you this. When you talk about the, the keeping documents, what are the responsibility of that caregiver as you know, 
they've got to take care of the giving the documents to the people, the fiduciaries. Help me with that. Absolutely. So, you know, if you've named someone power of attorney or executor or successor trustee as a fiduciary, as some of your assets, it's important that they know that and that they know where those original documents are and they can access them. And that may mean adding them as a signer on the safe deposit box at the bank, or they know where the keys are to get the original documents. So a safe deposit box, a person dies, and my my wife is not a signer on our safe deposit box. She can't get into that safety box? She, she may eventually be able to get in not that initially. safe, but not initially. She it's going to be a long process with, with court documents and everything else, and eventually you can get access, but that takes a long time. It's, it, it's much more efficient to have an additional signer on the safe deposit box That's so that critical. they can access it. All right, what's the final, the last thought that you have as far as what a caregiver needs to do? The idea of location stuff, you talk about that, and knowing what to do and disclosing it. Help me with that. I think, you know, knowing where the originals are, making sure they're in a safe place, and making sure that the fiduciaries, the people that are going to act for your, for the benefit of the beneficiaries, know where those documents are, how to access them, and what they are supposed to be doing to carry out their fiduciary All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want you to talk about all my Internet passwords and how do I get to those, and what do you do, what do you recommend for that? Because that's the problem. A lot of our things are now stored on the cloud. All right, you're listening to FM 107.9 and AM 990, The Voice, talk radio for the Mid-South. This is Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and my guest is Scott Jordan and also Mac Bailey of the Bailey Law Firm. We'll be back, and we're going to talk about who is a responsible party and why. Okay, stay with us. We'll be back after this. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes Store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs, it's what we do. You're listening to Talk Money. Have a question you'd like answered on the program? Email talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. And now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. While we're talking with Scott Jordan and Mac Bailey of the Bailey Law Firm, we're talking about being a caregiver. We just finished discussing safekeeping of delivery of documents. I asked Scott before the break, Scott, so many people store things on their computer and all of a sudden, they're, die, they're passed away, and they go into the computer. Nobody can get into it. I mean, it takes an act of Congress. Now, the spouse feels all of a sudden like, oh, my goodness, what do I do? Help me with that. Well, one of the things we encourage our clients to do in that, uh, that estate planning, planning book we put together right. for them is one of the sections in there lists all the websites and passwords. And that's critical to be able to get on there and access bank online bank accounts and any kind of and social media. You may want to shut all that down. Yeah. Somebody needs to know how to get into all that and have access to that. You know, the so thing about important. it is, and you change how many times do you change passwords? And that's a critical thought. And you know, I asked a guy, I said, Okay, you, you know, we were going through this estate review 
And I said, okay, I noticed that this is just still your password. He looked at me and said, that's a year and a half that's, old. Four passwords and ago, I said, right. you know, that's four passwords ago. That's about, so you got to pay attention and make sure that you're doing that. Well, you just said a, a great word, review. Yeah. Uh, estate planning is never a one-and-done thing. Whether it's trust, online, it's important to sit down and review those every year and make sure they are still in line with what you want today because things change. We see it all the time. That's what Mac was saying earlier is that you go through all kinds of life changes and you, that document is not stagnant. It's just it's constantly moving. So I appreciate that. A responsible party. Mac, help me with that. I mean, so many people don't realize that here as a caregiver – You've got some obligations. So help me with what a responsible party is. So let's say you're the son and you're taking care of mom and mom needs to go to the hospital and you're there to admit mom and the health care provider, the person at the front desk says, I need somebody to be the responsible party. And they go, well, I'm the son. I'm here. I'll sign. Well, what they may tell you that means is that if something happens to dad, they're going to call you or something happens to mom, they're going to call you. But what it also could mean is that if mom or dad doesn't pay the bill, then you get to pay the bill. So you have to be very, very careful as a caregiver to make sure you're not becoming personally liable for health care bills. This is important for people to, to make sure they understand that, because I think so many times at that moment, that moment when you're taking care as a caregiver, you're not thinking about that. Very emotional. That's, the, that's an emotional time. So be the you know do the planning be proactive think about what you've got if you are a caregiver if you happen to be a you know one of the people that has an estate that you will need a trust and you need to put all that together think about all this who is going to be your caregiver or if you happen to be a caregiver do you have all this in place that is so so critical let's go back for just a second we only have a few minutes left power of attorney if I give you my power of attorney, Mac Bailey, okay, I give that to you. And then two years later, I decided, you know what, Mac, you did great, but but I need to give it to Scott. I actually had a case where I had three functioning power of attorneys. At least the documents did not remove the previous power of attorney. Tell me, what does that present and how do I clean that up? Well, it certainly presents confusion because now you have multiple people trying to handle your affairs. But in general, the last one should be the one that controls. The last one, they, just automatically the last one controls? It, it sh- not automatically, but it should be the one. And probably a court, that's how a court would decide who but has But I had to go power. to court. I got to go to court to do that. You do. Now, how can I avoid that? Do I? All right, let me just, uh, this actually happened. This is a case that actually happened. Three very effective documents. Do I do I have to write a document to eliminate the other three? Yes, you can sign a revocation and say, I revoke or I get rid of okay. number one and number two, and I want to keep number three. Okay. All right. So, Ken, again, go seek out a good attorney to figure all this out. Make sure we understand that, that we're working through that. Mac Bailey, let me give you his telephone number, 843-2760, 843-2760. Scott, summarize. Here you are, a caregiver. All the things are taking care of documents. Give me a 30-second overview. Make sure that you that you have the documents. You know where they are. They're in a safe place and that... Everyone who is going to be a fiduciary knows their responsibilities and where to get those documents. Know their responsibilities. That's that's critical. Know what's going on. Be a fiduciary. The fiduciary, you got to think about taking care of business and doing what you're doing. Mac, Living Trust, summarize. Voids probate. Voids the time delay and cost of probate. Saves your family money and time. 
And it keeps people from arguing. Yes. <laughs> Boy, money can be so, so devastating to a lot of people. And that's the key right there. Well, let me just say this to everybody listening. I know the living trust seems to be expensive. Everybody, I've heard that. Let me tell you what. Don't avoid nickels and dimes when you've got to avoid the family problems that you could have later on. I mean, just sit down with a good attorney, sit down with Mac and his team, put it together. Just make sure that you're doing that. Don't avoid doing something that in the long run is going to be very, very effective for you. Well, you've been listening to Talk Money, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. I hope you have. My guests have been, of course, Mac Bailey of the Bailey Law Firm and Scott Jordan, Certified Financial Planner with Shoemaker Financial. And he's done a great job. Everybody, I just appreciate the, all the information, guys. Thank you so much for taking care of what you did today. Appreciate Thank you. It. Of course, my producer and board operator, Gil Worth. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovich. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier. Written by Drew Johnson. You know, Talk Money is about everything financial. We try our best to give you as much about what we do and help you make decisions about your finances. And that's what we've done today, talking about a legal document called a living trust. Thank you for being a part of today's program. We'll see you next week. And we're here every week helping you make the most of your money. Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Secure and Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.